everybody, and welcome back to Don't Quit Your Day Job. My name is Paul, and I am your host, as always. And today, uh, definitely something completely new. I'm excited to introduce everyone to a person named Aaron Smith. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So uh, what we're going to talk about here is, so Norm, I'm... Let me take a step back. What I'm typically doing on this show is talking to musicians, so guitar players, drummers, singers, whatever, who are doing things in the music industry uh, to either try to become successful, however they're defining that, um, or have found a way to manage like a day job with their musical aspirations. With you, uh, we're in uncharted territory for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to start with, uh, we're going to focus on your hair for a second. So Aaron is an Elvis impersonator. And of course, I don't, I don't record the video. And maybe for the first time, I'm sad about that uh, for, <laughs> for this interview. Um, because you got the, you got you got the hairdo going on. So talk about the hair. So Elvis impersonator, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of what that means. But the hair is really important, I guess. So you're wearing a wig right now. You already told me before we started. So yes. ex explain yes. it, please. So I, on occasion, I'll use my natural hair and sometimes I use a wig. I've found lately with, you know, schedules being so crazy that the wig helps because normally if I use my own hair, it's about a two hour, two and a half hour process of teasing it and spraying it and shellacking it because the seventies, the fifties guys have it easy. I do like 69 to 72, 73. Okay. And the seventies hair is so hard to master, especially in those Aloha years and, you know, the on tour stuff in the seventies, you know, the, his drummer, Ronnie Tut, when he was drumming, he had his hair going all over the place, but, they had it so much easier than he did, I think, because even no matter how much hairspray he put in that hair, by the end of the show, he was so sweaty and the hair was going all over the place. So so sometimes I'll do a wig just uh, if it's a venue that I have to go like a far distance to. It saves me that time <laughs> to just okay. do it that way okay. because I still obviously do the makeup, but the, the hair is a process because I have to have it perfect. I'm one of those people, you know, they say you're your own greatest critic. Yeah. I have a buddy who travels with me and he always wakes me up like three hours before showtime just so I have time to get ready. So can you buy an Elvis wig? Like, is that a thing that you can buy? And if you can buy an Elvis wig, is that, can you buy a specific era like you're talking about? Yeah, you can. You can do the 50s, 60s, 70s. Um, and they, they make them specifically for uh, Elvis tribute artists to, to buy. Um, there's a couple different people that make them, but yeah, yeah, that's a thing. Okay. So I think we'll start with what you just mentioned, which I had no idea about. I didn't realize. So if you're an Elvis impersonator, you're choosing an era. Is there so you only do you said 69 through 70s. Um, I know that he died in 76 or 77. So you're you're 77. In, 77 OK, so you're in that era. Um, some people will call him Fat Elvis um, if you're being disparaging of of the Elvis Presley name. Um, why did you choose that? Can you do more than one era? Let's talk about all the stuff that goes along with eras of Elvis Presley. Yeah, I can do different eras. I like 69 to 73 because 
I like how you mentioned that. I was going to mention that because in six from like 69 to 73, he wasn't really overweight. He okay. still was in good, good health, good spirits, fresh out of those movie contracts, just playing at the, at the Las Vegas Hilton in Vegas, getting his, his Vegas engagement. Cause he had been on the movies in the sixties and fifties right. and sixties locked in movie contracts. So he hadn't appeared live in, in quite some time. So well, 69 he, was the comeback special, right? When he wore the black leather suit and all of that. 68 was 68. the comeback special. Okay. Yeah. 68, the leather, yeah. 68 and 69 were him. He, in 68, he was just coming back. And then in 69, at the International Hotel, was his first uh, live performance in front of an audience in, in quite some time. Okay. So so why that era? What, what about that era of Elvis makes you want to be an impersonator for that? I loved the costuming and I loved the songs choices that that I loved the fact that he at that time was very versatile. He would do in the ghetto and he would do Kentucky rain, some really powerful songs, make the world go away. But then he could go right into all shook up or suspicious minds or folk sale at Annie, the Tony Joe white tune. I liked how versatile he was at the time. And I liked how he was working with different musicians. It wasn't strictly, you know, his style of music. Okay. So when I think of an Elvis impersonator, I'm thinking of Las Vegas Elvis impersonator, the, the, you know, shortly before his death, that sort of big white costume with the rhinestones and everything. Is that the sundial it, it, suit? Yes. So it, when someone thinks of an Elvis impersonator, is that typically, are they like me? Is that what we're thinking of? Generally, when you think of like an Elvis impersonator, yeah, they think of, of just before he passed away, you know, when he was hooked on the on the medication and he was in those white white suits and, you know, looked very exhausting. That's that's generally um, the kind of thought process that goes through people's head, that image they connect right, it with. Right. Vegas. Vegas is typically typically one they don't really connect it with because I know some guys that do like the fifties, the sun records era, but uh, that's not as popular as, as the seventies is. Okay. Uh, let's start at the beginning. Does one get into Elvis's music and realize that they can sing it a little bit, or does one want to be an Elvis impersonator and then learn how to sing? I would have to say with me, I wanted to be the impersonator because I saw him in the movies and I just thought it was so cool and so cool. But then I realized you have to sound good, you know, and I was fortunate that my parents were extremely honest, brutally honest, I say, because I remember rehearsing and they would say, you know, oh, don't, don't quit your day job was one of them. And, 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 oh my God, you sound like a wounded move. You know, my parents were very, cause they didn't want me to get on stage and be embarrassed. Right. So right. I wanted to be Elvis. And then I realized I have to say, so I kind of uh, started practicing and talking to other Elvis tribute artists about uh, what songs would fit my voice. So kind of having them select my music arrangements was helpful because there were songs I was so passionate about singing, but didn't sound the greatest. Okay. Okay. So right. couldn't sing those songs. Like I would have to say the hardest song for me to master would probably be American trilogy. All right. Uh, just because his voice and hurt hurt, not the Johnny cash one, but the Elvis one. Cause I can't believe how, how versatile that man's voice was, but mine is not. 
I am more of a mid-range vocalist, okay. so I can't hit those those Whitney Houston's or those you know those high that he could hit a lot of those different notes. When you when you first went out, the first time you performed, um, were there were you really nervous? Were you confident in what you could do? You know, talk, tell us about those first, especially the first one, but the first couple, tell us how you were handling that. Yes, the younger, the younger years. So I, in high school, even I want to say as, as early as eight or nine, I, I was infatuated with Elvis, but I, I got to perform at a place called Charlie's drive-in in Hortonville, Wisconsin. And it was there and they were doing like a, a hot rod car show type thing. Okay. And I was really young. And I think my mom, if I remember right, my mom's friend made me a little jumpsuit and I had a boom box and I was singing to the Elvis track, Elvis at Madison Square Garden. But um, I just remember hating the fact that everyone thought I was like adorable. He's so adorable. He's so cute. <laughs> I hated that because I was one of those people who was so passionate about it. That's like, you know, obviously my voice hadn't, you know, completely kind of turned right. yet. So I was still, you know, cracking and all that. But I just remember being, he's so cute. He's adorable. And I'm like, I want to be taken so seriously, even at like eight or nine. I'm like, I don't want to be cute. I want to be, <laughs> I want to be the king. I want, you know, it, although it did work to my advantage for the ladies because I ran, I think I ran out of scarves because I was just so cute. I was just so cute. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. So I, I want to get back into some of those developmental things, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, so this is great. I mean, I'm just as you're talking, there's so many things I want to ask about. But let's start. You 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 were talking about uh, people in the community helping you choose songs as you are developing your act. So I'm interested yes. to hear about the community. So you know, I'm a punk rock guy. I play in punk rock bands, and and there's a strong sense of community in punk rock, you know, there a lot really of it is. is, is people helping each other and, and band supporting one another. So is it a, sim could we say it's a similar thing with the, with the Elvis impersonation? Very similar. Okay. Very similar. I can absolutely relate a hundred percent because, um, the band that I started, they, they did this like a live band karaoke thing locally. And a friend of mine played in that band and he was very, uh, I want to say like eighties it's punk rock mixed with like, your ACDC and your Kiss and your yeah. Bon Jovi. Cool. He played a lot of, in a lot of bass in a lot of those bands. And his name was Harold Carlson. And um, as I started to go down, he's like, maybe that's, you know, he was someone I could take criticism. We would have a couple beers together. We formed a friendship and it started to be almost, you're good. What are you doing here? We should form a group, but let me help you with these songs. Mm -hmm. Because when I would come out for karaoke, he'd be able to get a feel of what I liked. Right. And then as he, I think he's also a music teacher, if I'm not mistaken, I think he told me that, but he would start to be like, you know, I know you like this song, but yes, they're drunk out there in the audience and they don't know, but he's <laughs> like, I know, cause I'm on stage with you and you're too good to, you know, be up here with these songs that you think sound great, but you have the costume, you have the makeup, you have the look, we need to get you some songs that can contour to your Elvis right, right. vocals. So are you typically doing backing tracks or are you typically doing live band stuff? It's a little bit of both, but with the COVID crisis, it's been backing tracks. Okay. Okay. I miss the live band. I miss that because I'm so used to being able to like do a move and stop. And they, I'm just so used to them knowing what I'm going to do. So right. it's hard with the tracks. Right. 
And so when you have the opportunity or when you're working with a live band, are you rehearsing as a unit or is it something like, here's the songs I want to do and then just stay out of my way while I do my Kung Fu kicks and dancing stuff? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it's, it's, it's usually here's the songs I want to do because Harold, um, as we've built our relationship up, he uh, he plays, you know, as a musician, he plays in like five different bands at the same time. So it's, it's that type of thing. So he'll take the songs to um, the other musicians and then they'll just do it at their house and they'll message me and be like, hey, we're ready. I put this song in. Take a listen. Do you want to add anything? OK, cool. which is nice because we all live in the same city. So, I mean, it, it's we're really close to each other. But I love how you said the karate kicks because I have I do quite a bit of that on stage, and some of the stages are small. Right. <laughs> some of the stages are quite small, and I actually remember one night I was at the end of a song I was doing these karate moves while the drummer was you know accenting all my moves, <laughs> and I kicked the microphone stand over and it hit my, the neck of my buddy's guitar, and. <laughs> And I just remember ever since that show, he stands kind of further, further back away. Like, <laughs> right. Hands everybody waters and stuff. That's his job. He's like way back there. So when you're when you're practicing, when you're rehearsing on your own, are you working on the, the stage moves or how you want to uh, act as Elvis in addition to your vocal practice? Or does one take precedence over the other? I usually focus more on my voice. I will have uh, either either a f two. I'll have either one or two friends sit with me because then they're honest with me while right. I'm rehearsing and I have all my equipment set up. Because they'll be like, "Whoa, maybe stop that." So some t most of the time, I'm focusing on my voice. Okay. Because I've heard a lot of people go, "You got the moves down. You really need to work on that voice." Okay. And with the pandemic, it's given me a lot of time to you know go in my living room and find those tracks and just really. It gets tiresome, but go over it and then go over it right. and go over it because the moves, I love doing the moves, but sometimes, especially with me, I get so focused on the moves that then I kind of fade out watching my voice because right. I'm so focused on nailing those moves. Right. Well, I, I mean, I guess I would say that all of it is part of the act, right? All of it is part of the entertainment. Mm -hmm. uh, you want to have both, but I think... I would agree that if if someone is not a good singer, um, then that will detract from whatever else is is happening. Right. That's hard to cover up, I guess. Kind of like a bad drummer. When the drummer's bad and he drops beats, that's you may not know exactly what's happening, but, you know, something is wrong. Right. I've been there with people who have sat in for my drummer. I've been I know exactly what you're talking about because you can hear it because you're so used to it done your way. Right. It bothers you, but it doesn't bother the audience because right. they can't. Right, right. Uh, Wisconsin. I cannot imagine that Wisconsin is a hotbed of demand for Elvis impersonators. It it's pretty decent in the summertime, and especially around Christmas time. You know, okay, everybody wants someone to go into you know the old folks' homes or or private parties, and oh, blue, you know that's that's kind of the okay, cliche. Okay, so that's thing. interesting. So that's the market. The market isn't necessarily going to some nightclub. The market is corporate corporate stuff. Is that is yep. that right? Yeah, you're right. I, I unfortunately haven't had that. I have some friends here in Wisconsin who have had that experience. I have not 
had that experience. I've been playing, you know, bars and stuff, okay. but, but yeah, it can be that way too. Private parties, nursing homes, um, allegiance, that sort of thing. Right. Right. Um, Okay, so let's take a slight detour. When you contacted me about possibly being on the show, I was excited because I hadn't had anyone like you. So, so that's cool. So I'm I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, we connected. But you also mentioned um, um, that that you live with Aspergers. Um, so let's let's talk about that a little bit yes. and what that means. Not necessarily like how you go about your day to day, but what how how does that inform what you're trying to do with with your musical career? You know what what's the impact there? Well, and I'm I'm so glad that 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 Paul, you gave me the opportunity to be on the program. It's a great program, and I would have to say autism and Asperger's. Um, living with that, it, it's it's a good thing and it's a bad thing okay. because you get so fixated on, especially with the theatrics of of, of the show and. Uh, well, I'll just start with the theatrics of the show. That the, you get so focused on an era that you over-focus on that era and everything has to be perfect. Okay. So I've played places where like, it's not period perfect. Like the band is in their regular, which is fine. But like, I'm so focused on that, giving the audience that period perfect show that like, it's always bothering me in the back <laughs> of the head if everything right. isn't right. right. And especially the anxiety when COVID came, the anxiety for travel was really, I struggled with that because not only were different states doing different things, but my routine gets thrown off. I'm like, when am I going to play again? When am I going to be in the, you know, this state again? And so that was probably the most difficult part was, was my schedule getting thrown off or that norm being thrown off from, um, what it was before, even on a social piece of going to the bars and hanging out with friends. It was just, it felt like everything stopped and, you know, you're running through that roulette wheel of questions in your head every single day. Okay. Okay. Then going along with that, you mentioned you'd gotten interested in, in this kind of performance early on. How did that shape or impact your your high school years, especially also dealing with with autism? Did did you did you get bullied? Were people giving you shit? You know, how did you handle that sort of stuff? It was incredibly it was incredibly difficult elementary school and middle school because everything that could have happened happened. I would get threats. I would get lockered. I would get beat up. I would get it was it was a constant torment every day, which was frustrating because I would get so frustrated. I think my parents were more frustrated than I was though, that the schools would say they're doing something, but never, I don't want to say never follow through, but they had this anti-bullying policy, but yet they didn't really do much to prevent that with other kids within that school. So that was, it was a pain. I dreaded riding the bus every single day. Right. And, and how did you how did you deal with that or how did you sort of grow out of that? It was just school ended and then thank God because all those assholes are gone or you know how did you how did you maneuver out of that? I I, I had maybe one or two friends that I kind of you know kind of confided in but I also would like when I wasn't in, in, in school when I was in school I, the nice thing was some of the classes you know they have uh, what's it called? Uh, modifications where like they would let me listen to music in class, mm-hmm. which kind of helped me to focus. So I would have to say I, I 
the depression was probably the worst, but I wrapped myself in music. Music and art were my two kind of escapes uh, out of that type of an atmosphere and that negativity. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of a loner, I want to say, those years, because I'd go home and listen to music or draw or lock myself in my room to do those type of things because, right. you know, that music's never mean to you and art is never mean to right. you. So it, right. I kind of wrapped myself in basically just a cocoon of my own hobbies, if you will. Right. I, I think any musician um, experiences all of those sorts of things, you know, and I think that that's why the community becomes so important once you are able to get into the community and you find like-minded people and you can get actual legitimate support with people who are interested in the same thing as you versus, versus someone who isn't necessarily into it and just wants to support you because of you. I think that that's good and that's helpful, but it, there's also the, the support of the like-minded people I think is really important and, and makes a bigger difference. You are a hundred percent right, Paul. You are a hundred percent right. It's finding that niche. Mm-hmm. That's like a second family. Right. Okay, we're going to shift gears here slightly because I want to ask you if you've seen the Don Coscarelli movie Bubba Hotep. I've, I've seen clips and I've <laughs> seen posters. Yes, I have. I'm so glad you asked because... <laughs> I've seen clips. I haven't seen the movie all the way through, but I've seen I've seen clips. <laughs> so for, for anyone who doesn't know, Baba Hotep, is, the idea is there's a nursing home that's being invaded by an ancient evil mummy. And in the nursing home is JFK as a black man and Elvis, <laughs> who switched places with an Elvis impersonator. So the impersonator is the one that famously died and the real Elvis got moved to a, uh, a nursing home. So that's the craziness of of the movie. And um, uh, it's it's amazing. And, and he's I, in the jumpsuit throughout the whole movie. He, he is in the jumpsuit through the whole. And it's Bruce Campbell's <laughs> playing Elvis, which makes it all the more better for those who are into Evil Dead and that sort of stuff. So, so I, I can recommend it. Uh, just lingering on um, Elvis in the movies. Uh, do you have a favorite? Uh, Kurt Russell played him in the John Carpenter movie and lots of people have played him. Do you have a favorite Elvis impersonator in the movies? I would have to say probably, you know, oh gosh, either either Kurt Russell or Sean Clush. Okay. All right. Cool. Sean Clush was in the, uh, I don't know if you follow vinyl. I assume you do, but Sean Clush was in the, the vinyl series as as Elvis when Elvis played at the, the, the Hilton Hotel okay. in Las Vegas. It's now the Westgate Hotel. I'm so glad that property is still there. But I would have to say Kurt Russell and Al Kurt Russell and Sean Clutch. I was just about to say Elvis. He looks <laughs> Sean Clutch, if you ever look him up, looks so much like Elvis. It's like, holy shit. Cool, cool. So let's naturally too. Let, let let's talk about uh the idea of success in the world of Elvis and impersonator. So you you when you wrote to me, you said that you had met some of Elvis's inner circle. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that and, and what the measurement of success is for an Elvis impersonator such as yourself. Yes. Uh, um, you know, when I was in Memphis, I got to go on a trip down to Memphis and I, I was singing down there, but I was also like, it, which is hard, you know, you're a tourist and you're a singer. But while I was singing down there, I did all the stuff, you know, went to Graceland, went and signed records. Um, when I was down there, I got to meet with with uh, Mark James. He wrote Suspicious Minds for Elvis, which was so incredible. 
because, you know, they ask you the same thing. Well, how do you know who Elvis was? Because at the time, I want to say I was 20, 24, 25. Okay. And, and it's funny because, you know, meeting these people who were with him in the recording studios, on tour, in the limos, was so incredible because Mark James wrote that song. And that was Elvis's, I believe, last long-standing number one hit record on the charts. Okay. Um, and the studio version is slowed down, but that was his favorite song to sing because Elvis could do those karate moves. And, and Mark James wanted to write a song that showed that Elvis matured. Okay. So that was in his Vegas set list in the, in the 69. It wanted to show a mature side, uh, uh, a dynamic side instead of the, you know, caricature shaking around with his popped collar and right. something mature. And then I got to meet George Klein, which did security for Elvis and was Elvis's best friend in high school in the fifties in Hume's high school. Um, and it was incredible because the stories and, you know, I am, I'm not a fangirl. I don't really have a lot of those moments, even on the road, meeting, meeting different people. But I was having a little bit of, obviously, you know, I'm not shy with words. I was having a moment where I could not articulate or like <laughs> form words when I'm in front of these people. And I was in like the suit. I was in the suit with the big gold belt. And I'm, they're reaching their hand out. And I'm like, hi, hello. Like, I wanted someone to hit me over the head because I'm like, Jesus. But meeting those people was incredible just because, you know, hearing hearing feedback from people who knew him and, and meeting people who knew him was incredible. And in Memphis during right. Elvis week, right. Right. <laughs> you can't get better than that. You right. can't. And I can't write any music. So anyone who writes music, I give them. I give them great credit. I also got to meet his nurse who was with him at Baptist hospital. And those, those, you know, she was there during those final, final days, but she was also there when he would just check himself in because he needed a break, which is so hard for me to fathom that Elvis Presley would check himself into the hospital because he needed a break. Right. Well, I but mean, these that, that's some self-awareness right there. So I'd never heard that before, but that's some real self-awareness to recognize that, that you needed a break or you needed some help. I'm sure the pressures were enormous, you know, not having any idea about anything, but I, but I could imagine something like that. Well, I remember her saying the thing was he would check himself in when he needed a break, because even when he would come back from touring in Tennessee, he was such a giving person, all the monitors and security cameras, there'd always be some people around the gates and he'd always feel the need to drive down there mm -hmm. and sign stuff. Mm -hmm. And so in order for him not to feel the need to do that, go somewhere, he else. would just yeah. go there. Nobody knew except her that he was there. And even he would, he drove himself there. That's what I find incredible. He's a star. He could have someone drive him there. Right. He drove in his big white Cadillac Fleetwood, his 73 Fleetwood down to the hospital. And the funny thing is, is I joke about it because I said, oh, it's not a pink, it's white. So it looked like every other doctor's car in the parking lot. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, cool. Then uh, one last question here be before I let you go. Uh, you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, COVID, like, like with many musicians, put, put a halt on activities. 
as you as you start to get back out there, you know, what are you looking to do? Are you just trying to jump right back into it, or are you building up to it? Are are, are conventions happening? Um, what's going on? I would have to say the conventions they are happening. The unfortunate part is usually there would be, like I said, more people going and doing it. Right. But a lot of people have, who I know in the community have stepped back. I personally haven't gotten a lot of shows this year. Like I said, maybe three or four, but I'm willing to play. I'm, I guess I'm less selective on where I'm going to play right. lately just because you know, I haven't gotten a lot of shows before I could be more selective. Now I'm basically just, I don't want to say taking anything, but anything that's, that's reasonable and that's a decent venue I'll take because I just uh, exposure is important, especially to stay relevant because right. there's so many Elvis impersonators around the globe. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm just trying to, trying to kind of float by. I know that the one helpful thing with the traveling this year has been um, my buddy that travels with me has kind of pushed me to get back out there. Um, but it's just relative to, you know, what, you're going to look like going into the winter season, COVID, colds, that yeah. that whole situation. So it's it's just floating by, but I would be gracious and, and happy to get, I miss Memphis. I miss Memphis. I was in Nashville this year and Miami and, but I, I miss, I miss Memphis. I miss that because all, all the big conventions where all the other brothers and ETAs get together, you know, that camaraderie, I miss that for yeah. sure. Yeah. Right on. Well, hopefully, hopefully things definitely start to get better. I want to thank everyone who's listening to the show. It is very much appreciated. Please continue to do so. Please tell your friends. Please like, subscribe, and please rate us on the Apple Podcast Store because that helps us out a lot. I want to thank Aaron Smith for taking the time. I feel like we have some more things to talk about. So I think as you get back out there, maybe you know towards the summer next year i'd love to love to touch base with you again and see how things are going um i have a lot more questions um but but i i am very thankful for you to for for you to contact me and and come on the show it is it has been great thanks aaron well paul i really appreciate your time it was wonderful and i i look forward to uh chatting with you again in the future (laughs) 